HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, uh, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. So we're going to be bugging out today, and I'm sorry, you're going to hear me say that 20 times, but we are actually going to be talking to Pat Crowley, who is the founder of Chapel Cricket Bars. Um, Eating insects is something uh, we all need to get used to the idea of, and Pat's here to help us um, figure out how best to start our insect intake without bugging out completely over what we're eating. Pat, welcome to the program, and thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, excited to be here. That's great. <laughs> you hippie. <laughs> In fact, I had a dream about somebody calling me a hippie because I was making my own food. Anyway, I... <laughs> I've been I've been called a lot worse. So. Uh, yeah, I, I bet you have, <laughs> Mr. Insect. So let's take your biography a little bit. Uh, you started out as a hydrologist, right? So that's an expert on water. Yeah, yeah. Probably even further back pertinent to this project is, is just uh, I had done a fair amount of world traveling and experiencing lots of different cuisines around the world and uh-huh. lots of cultures that, that eat insects. And then coming back to the United States, I, I wanted to kind of continue traveling, but it have more of a positive impact on the world. And so that's why I got into water. Um, and you live down in, you live in uh, Utah now, right? But you grew up in Colorado? I mean, uh, well, kind of all over the West. I grew up in Arizona, lived in California, lived in Colorado, and, and now I'm in Utah, yeah. No wonder you want to eat freaking bugs, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're one of those West Coast people, I can tell, you know. You're like, yeah. So anyway, so tell us, how did you get into the bug business? Oh, it's a, I don't know how long your show is, but you probably don't have enough minutes. time to really tell the whole story. Yes, but, we uh, do. <laughs> I want every nuance because how did you get over the ick factor? That's what I want to know because we got to make everybody else get over it too. Yeah, uh, you know that's that's really the the whole objective of our project. Um, When I started learning about insects as a as a very viable protein source for 
moving forward in the future, kind of an un, unknown future as far as our agricultural uh, products are concerned, our the stability of our food supply. Yeah. Um, really, the the main of hurdle. If you look at it objectively, if you look at it health wise, if you look at it environmentally, it just makes sense. It's a no brainer that we should have insects in our diet. And really, the only reason we don't is the, the psychological one. Our, our culture didn't grow up with it, and so we think it's it's kind of gross. And so, um, or some people do anyway. Well, I I, um, I did some reading about this, and I, I learned that something like eighty percent of the rest of the world does include insects in their diet. So I, yeah, I think it's interesting that we have designed an agricultural system that excludes insects, uh, but does include you know uh, animals. Um, which then consume an enormous amount of grain and water resources, et cetera. So, I mean, insects do make a lot of sense to me, but, um, you know, I'm yeah, going to let you keep going. Yeah, it's just kind of by happenstance that uh, you know, they, were, they were a part of the diet for Native Americans in this area. And then mm-hmm. when, when Western Europeans uh, expanded over to, to the Americas, they, they didn't have insects as a part of their diet. And they had much more of a, a monoculture-style agriculture that, you know, you, you grew one thing and everything else was a pest. and um, that just pervaded, and so that that's what's dictated our our um, a, aversion to to anything that that may you know the flies or wheat or, or our alfalfa, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, viewing them as a pest. So so that that's that that came with it, and and we we like to say that uh, you know food fads come and go, but if you look at the length of human history, we've been eating insects a lot longer than. Than we haven't been in in the United States and Western Europe. So the, really, the fad is is not eating insects, and we're just trying to bring that fad out the door here. That's a great way of putting it. I also read that sushi probably had a similar uh, experience when we when it was first introduced in this country, probably around 1965 or something. Um, and nobody would think of eating raw fish back then. And now, of course, even little kids are eating it. It's just part of the program. So we're hoping- we, we looked at we looked at that industry very closely and and, mm-hmm. and, and tried to model our product our first product um, off of the sushi industry and it was very deliberate it was very conscious on their part to uh, on the initial pioneers of the sushi industry in the United States to to develop the California roll which was a really gentle introduction for Americans right. you know they, they turned the nori around and that, what a great move they we didn't have to see the seaweed which was such a foreign food to us and and so that's kind of what we knew we had to do is create just a, a product that was a real gentle introduction for for Americans to eat insects and so we we did the same thing we took away the visual component by by turning crickets into flour we mill them down to powder where you would never have to see it and mm-hmm. um, so yeah the, the sushi industry was was very successful and so we looked at it as a, a direct correlation to our project so so let's 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 hear about chapel you uh, you started the business in uh, 2011 I believe and um, and you started by figuring out how to mill crickets down and you created an energy bar and you have different flavors can you talk a little bit about the product and how you guys came up with that particular model sure yeah so once once we decided that kind of the energy bar was going to be our the vehicle for introducing it um, it was just a matter of the, the practicality of, of creating it. So our name, Chapul, is um, an Aztec word for cricket or, or grasshopper, and they would do a pretty similar process. They would just dry them out in the sun um, and then use stone tools and mill them down to a, a powder, and then they would make like a protein-dense bread. And so we knew that you didn't need a lot of technology <laughs> to, 
to, to mimic some of that. So we just, we did pretty similar practice. We just uh, dehydrate them at pretty low temperatures, and then we put them through a stone mill. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the, and then when we sent it out for laboratory analysis, we were just amazed at the, at the level of nutrition. It's, it's over 60% protein, wow. um, no sugar. So this was, you know, we, we knew we had our hands on this superfood, and it was just a matter of, of getting it out there. And so we, we developed initially, we have three flavors of our energy bar that we add that flour into, mm-hmm. and we modeled the flavor profiles around regions of the world that either eat insects now or, or historically did. So we, we have a Thai, Thailand-themed bar. Thailand, you can go walk down the markets, and there's entire food markets of insects, all different types of varieties of, of beetles and ants and caterpillars. And, and so our, our Thailand-themed bar is, it's coconut ginger lime flavor with almond butter and cashews. And then we have a, an all-American bar and named after the Chaco culture, which is a Native American culture in this area that uh, historically ate insects. And so that's our, our peanut butter and chocolate flavor, that kind of all-American staple Reese's bar Crickets. flavor. It's What's like that? a Reese's bar, Reese's Cricket bar. Exactly, Reese's Cricket bar. Yeah, man. I, okay, I could go for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your third one is like more of a Mexican our, flavor, if I recall. Exactly, yeah, kind of Mesoamerica. It's called our Aztec bar. So that one's dark chocolate, coffee, and cayenne chili. So, um, Very unique flavors. But, what's yeah. the calorie profile on crickets? Do they have calories? I mean, there's no they fat, do. there's no yeah. cholesterol, so it's basically just a big blast of protein, and it has some other minerals in it, as I recall. What's the nutritional profile? Let's hear that. Yeah, so if if you take a, a 35 gram serving, which is kind of a standard serving for a, any protein powder, you're going to get about 21 grams of protein out of that, um, and about 140 calories, um, and, and that's you know that's mostly uh, that's mostly the protein, and so the, it's about less than two grams of fat out of that, uh, a few carbs. Uh, definitely some fiber from the chitin and exoskeleton. And, yeah. and there's a lot of health benefits with the, the chitin itself. Um, you know, we, we've, we evolved eating insects, and so we have in, enzymes in our, in our intestinal tract that, that breaks chitin down to a very usable chitosan, um, which is currently we use it industrially. We make um, tissues, uh, we make tissue for burn victims out of it because it really fosters tissue regrowth, so bandages. Wow. It fosters tissue regrowth and, and lowers cholesterol levels. And um, it's, it's amazing how nutritious these are, and it's, it's just absolutely astonishing that it hasn't been a part of our diet earlier. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting problem when you talk about that, which is supply. And I, I did a lot of background reading around your company and, you know, around other insect uh, food producers and stuff. And crickets are apparently quite hard to source and quite expensive to buy. So tell me how you're managing that and what are the, what are the challenges in terms of expanding a business like yours uh, when it comes to finding uh, a plentiful and low-cost supply of bugs? Uh, sure. That, that's a, it's been a long path. Uh, initially, when I, when I first heard about insects as a, a food source and that, that could be incorporated into our diet and just needed to be done so in kind of a culturally acceptable manner, my, my first thought was, okay, well, I need to start eating insects. And so I actually tried to catch them originally, but I was, <laughs> I was horrible at it. 
Really? I couldn't catch any for the life of me. You need to get a couple of kids. Uh, kids are great at catching yeah. crickets. <laughs> well, I wasn't, that's for sure. But uh, so it, it, first thing I did after that was, was look at where I could buy them. Mm-hmm. And we've been growing crickets um, in the United States for for almost a century. Um, started with kind of fish bait industry and then in the 60s oh, kind of, of gravitated towards, it, it really expanded for the reptile pet feed industry um and so so i just ordered some online and and then um when when it started becoming more of a business we reached out to those farmers that raised them and talked to them about their food their rearing practices to see if we could kind of tweak that for human consumption and um it was it was challenging initially because you know we're talking to these large farms that have very successful business models already in place yeah to try and try and get them to do something outside of their their scope was 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 challenging, especially because we were just you know a tiny company with no demand for our products. So those yeah. that worked with us, we're we're <laughs> eternally thankful for. They're they're the true pioneers of of doing it. And now you know, two years after, actually next. We started in 2011. We didn't actually launch the product until 2012, and actually next weekend will be our two-year anniversary of launching our product. Oh, but, congratulations. This is a timely um, moment. Thank then. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. But uh, we've, in those two years, it's been amazing. It's been overwhelming how many people are, are contacting us saying, oh, I want to start an organic cricket farm, and you know, how, how do we do it? And, and so it, really the... The industry is is starting to grow, and and it is challenging right now, just because it's it's the very beginnings of a of a new industry. So it's it's inefficient, and it's it's not at a scale where it can be very cost efficient. And we're competing against you know sources of protein that use you know, very heavily subsidized grains as their feed source, and so it's it's challenging to to compete at a price point right now. But mm-hmm. you know, so we're. So were solar panels <laughs> you know, 20 yeah. years ago. The people that initially put them on their houses would never see a return on their investment, but they really believed in the cause. And because of them making those initial purchases, we we have a, a cost-effective you know, solar panel industry now in the, in the United States. So that's kind of how we view this. Is it, it may be a little more expensive as we kind of pave the way for this supply chain, but if you just look at the resource economics of resources in versus protein out it's it's a no-brainer it'll definitely be more cost effective as soon as as all the pieces are in place yeah i would imagine distribution could be one of your even though they're light i mean let's let's backtrack for a second how many you need about five what did i read you need something like five crickets per bar how about five crickets crickets per per gram gram of protein right so each of your bars is about 25 crickets it says correct correct Uh yeah so about yeah, so over half of the protein in our bar comes from the cricket. So uh-huh. when you when we dehydrate them and then mill them down to flour, they they really they reduce in size quite a bit. Oh yeah. Well, how big are your crickets? Because like when I see them in a pet store being sold for you know lizard feed or whatever, they're pretty damn small. And I read one of the places where I was reading about this, uh, one expert was saying that the crickets that are grown here are often too small for what they want to do, what you guys want to do, and so they're having to source crickets from other countries where they do grow them larger. I guess like Mexico, South America, and Thailand, uh, where they do grow much bigger varieties of crickets, and therefore the cost of transportation. 
transportation is quite high. So how are you able to uh, deal with your cricket purveyors and say, I want you to grow them out? Because they only have a six-week lifespan, right? Yeah, about about six weeks to reproduction, yeah. Um, it It is challenging. We we definitely, at this point, with all the... With all the regulatory kind of hurdles and unknowns that we're going through, we've mm-hmm. we've stuck with um, domestically sourced. So we only I did see. insects that are grown here in the United States, and we visited each of the farms, and so we know exactly the practices that they're using, and we know exactly what feed that they're feeding them. Um, what are they feeding and, them? What do crickets eat? I mean, I grew up in the country. I I I mean, I don't really know what crickets eat. I guess they assume they eat leaf matter, right? Vegetation. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're vegetarian, um, but they'll eat almost anything. Um, and that's kind of one of the exciting things about the industry is that you can use alternative sources of feed for them. So you can use more agricultural byproduct in their feed. Uh-huh. Um, so you know, corn husks and things like that. Currently, <clears throat> we're not at that level yet. Um, we're using just kind of a standard chicken feed right now for the for the flowers. We're an organic, non-GMO uh, chicken feed that goes into it. So that's mostly uh, oats, corn, isn't it? Uh, right now, it's mostly corn, uh, oats. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and then we've we're kind of trying to experiment at a couple of different farms. One of them uses, um, which we're really excited about. One of them uses kind of expired fruits and vegetables from uh, grocery stores. Right. So they that go and, and pick them up by the truckload. And how much and, does and they, yeah? Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it, we're we're working with a couple of experimental farms that are really trying to tap into the agricultural kind of waste streams mm-hmm. to use the use more of the compost essentially. But that's a that's the very beginning stages, and we we definitely see the the future of that. But it's you have to prioritize and, and take things in. in one step at a time, but sure. that's where we'd like to head. How many how many crickets do you need uh, per week to produce? Like, what's your give me a sense of your production scale? How many crickets per week? Boy, or, um, well, or do you measure them by pounds or by individual bodies? Yeah, I, mean, well, I guess it's by the well, pound, that was, right? That was one of the challenges: is that when they sell them at the pet store, they sell them kind of per cricket. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the farmers were selling the pet stores. That's how their um, system was in place. It was right. selling kind of per unit, but but they change in size. And so getting them, you know, in the food industry, we work in units of weight. And so when I order crickets, I need to know exactly how much weight there's going to be. Yeah. So that that was one added challenge was to get them to kind of change their their scales of payment is is based on weight. So we buy them by weight now. Um, and so we, we just ordered uh, several thousand pounds of crickets from one of our, our cricket farmers, so about 5,000 pounds. Wow. So that's a good, You obviously your food navigator story paid off, huh? Because <laughs> that that's right. was it the yeah. Shark Tank episode. I read about you in Food yeah. Navigator, but I'm a, I am a reader okay. of trades. Um, so that's where I discovered you, but I know you were on Shark Tank and I know you've been written up at Smithsonian and, uh, I think even the New Yorker a couple of years ago ran something about you guys. Yeah. Um, Pat, we're going to take we- a short commercial yeah. break right now and then we'll be back in just a minute with Pat Crowley from Chapel Farms. He's, uh, creating a cricket bar that we all need to start getting used to eating. Um, so stay tuned for more with Pat Crowley. We'll be right back. Thanks. Thanks. 
Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. We support Heritage Radio Network because all you folks listening are so genuine, so dedicated to serious food, so much a part of what this country needs to strive to become. People like you are few and far between, and it's obvious to us at Fairway that we've got to stick together. Our desire is that the word gets out about Heritage Radio Network in its support for serious food, foodstuffs that offer memorability and, and timelessness authenticity and and rarefied quality. This country grew too fast to have established any degree of a heritage. Europe had centuries to develop one. America has not. Heritage Radio Network serves to hasten the evolution of a society that often appears coarse and uninterested. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we are back with Pat Crowley of Chapel uh, Cricket Protein Energy Bars. Um, Pat, this is just like I, – I'm just like a kid in a candy store. I'm, I'm a kid in a cricket cage. <laughs> I, I just love this story so much, and I think you're so cool for doing this. Um, so I oh, want to go back you. to the idea of like how – like the source – because I'm always really interested in how things work. I like to take apart supply chains and examine the components. So the cricket supply chain is really fascinating to me, um, and I wanted to just go back uh, so they can be fed – waste materials you're encouraging your uh, partners to uh, change up some of what they feed them and so you make a distinction on your website about human grade uh, crickets versus what go into the livestock industry um, via pets reptiles etc so when you talk about human grade like what's wrong with some of the other possibilities what are they feeding uh, you know crickets that are meant for reptiles that is different from what we're feeding them when they're meant for us Sure. So, uh, one of one of the differences, just for our product in particular, we found some of the people that are most receptive to it are, are very conscious of what's going into their food products, and mm-hmm. and typically are are liking more of an organic and, and non GMO based food. Right. Uh, so that's that's one of the steps we've taken is is incorporating a feed that goes into our crickets that is organic and non GMO, um, which wasn't that big of a challenge. They, you know, some of the you can't really put pesticides in feed for insects. <laughs> that's kind of contrary. That, that's the whole point of a pesticide is to kill an insect. It's so to kill it, it right. It wasn't so. too big of a stretch. Right. Because they ha- had to have kind of a higher quality feed. But that is one of the challenges moving forward with the agricultural waste streams is that um, getting um, a very uniform and consistent uh, quality of feed coming into it. Yeah, um, I would think that would be quite a challenge, actually. You know, getting yeah, that, so that it's organic. I mean, they can feed them pretty much whatever for anything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one of the other differences is just kind of hygiene of of the rearing practice, not just the mm. feed. And so, so our our the facility that's kind of allotted to to our crickets is is cleaned on a much more regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I wanted to ask actually about cricket waste um, because that's such a big issue in livestock. You know, managing waste for livestock is probably one of the greatest challenges the industry faces um, because in these confined area feeding operations, it's, of course, you know, many millions of gallons per week. Um, what do crickets excrete? And is it is it then usable for something else? It is. I, I don't have the... Um 
the NPK breakdown on it, but it's extremely high quality. Some of the cricket farms actually do sell it as a really high-grade fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they are much, much more efficient at turning um, plant matter into an edible, at turning uh, you know, their feed into an edible biomass. Right. The feed to biomass conversion ratio is, is much greater. And so because of that, they have a lot less waste per per unit of mass that they grow. So, you know, that was one of the that was one of the things working as a, a water resource specialist. Right. You know, I worked in water supply for a while and then I also worked in water quality and a lot of our natural waterways are taking this kind of double hit mm. as we as we pump a lot of water out of the river or, or pump water out of the ground which declines our our the level of our rivers. Um they're, they're reduced in their supply, and then we have this agricultural runoff that goes into a, a reduced waterway and, and increases the, the nutrients in it. And so um, it's just that much more heavily concentrated. So not only are we re- reducing the supply, we're degrading the quality of it because right. of you know, a lot of our livestock practices. And so Sure. Well, just, and a lot of our agrarian practices, I mean, the, the amount of oh, um, fertilizer and, and pesticides that go onto a field of corn or soy, uh, despite oh, their GMO background, uh, is, is breathtaking. Um, yeah, yeah, most definitely. I wanted to go back to the interesting aspect of the, um, not only the amount of nutrients involved, I'm going to read something from the Smithsonian here. Um, this was about the tiny farms, and this is a uh, this I, you, I'm sure you know about tiny farms. It's a kit to grow yeah. your own insects, right? So, and we'll yeah. be asking you about that. And just, I mean, I will be not we. We're not not the royal we, but I will be asking you <laughs> about <laughs> whether or not you're going to go into the bug business or not. Um, but compared to beef, a six ounce serving of crickets has sixty percent less saturated fat, twice as much vitamin B12 as the same amount of ground beef. And besides being a good source of lean protein, bugs, this is something that really interests me because I do a lot of programming around foodborne illness and food safety. Bugs are genetically distant enough from us that transferable diseases such as mad cow or feral pig will never be a concern. And that's why for more than 80% of the world's nations, insects are an essential part of daily diet. So what do we, What I guess my my thread here is, since 80% of the world already eats bugs and since you've figured out how to, you know, dry them and mill them into a flour, what other products are you considering besides your energy bar where you can use crickets um, in place of, you know, conventional flour perhaps or some conventional flour and create other products? Do you have, do you have those uh, in your sites yet? We do, yeah. We have we have a lot of fun in our kitchen. We have a little kind of experimental day in our kitchen. <laughs> I want to come just, visit. <laughs> you should, yeah. You're yeah, man. To. No, I'm going to. <laughs> we take a pretty, you know, all along this has been um, all about spreading an idea for us and, and creating change uh, mm. for the for future generations. And and it's it's pretty atypical to be able to go into a kitchen, but we take more of an open source approach and, sure. and we invite anyone to come in our kitchen and, and cameras come in and whatnot. And so uh, we'd be happy to have you. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to your question, uh, you know, there's there's more than 1,600 varieties of insects eaten around the world. And so the yes. the options are wide open. And, and like I said, we're, our bar is intended to be the, the California role of the industry. So right. it's 
um, we've experimented with grasshoppers and wax worms and ants. Um, most of the countries, most countries that eat insects um, or, or a significant portion of them aren't farming them, and they're doing more of a harvesting technique kind of, um, that they've been sure. doing for for you know millennia. And so that's one of the challenges is figuring out which insects are uh, better to be farmed. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a whole new challenge. We don't want to go down the road of, of producing a, a product that, you know, has to be harvested. And if you harvest an insect out of the wild, you have to be pretty um, confident that there isn't any spraying or there's no heavy metals that are going to be accumulated. So Absolutely. I mean, I was um, just in Vietnam, and, and you were mentioning how Thailand has a lot of insect uh you know, dishes. And uh, I was stunned as I walked through, you know, the mountains in Vietnam through the patties and stuff. And there was a lot of guys with, uh, I saw tons of nitrogen fertilizer in um, bags. I saw lots of guys with tanks on their backs and spray guns, you know, to spray pesticides. And I, and in doing the reading and preparation for this, I was reading about um, a woman who works a lot in Mali where they often eat insects and the, and the women are, the mothers are telling their kids don't harvest those insects anymore because because they're contaminated. And so that does bring in the issue of like, you can't harvest, you have to know where your source is. And yet there are so many options for for creatures that you could be eating. Not that I really I mean, honestly, Pat, when I looked at the the wine, the, the, the rice wine jar filled with bees, my heart did not go pity pat with joy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I did drink snake right. wine, though. I, I want you to, I wanted to go on record that I did drink the snake wine. Oh, wow. Good for you. I know. <laughs> now who's the hippie, huh? <laughs> I'm totally a hippie, my friend. I am exactly the right age, I'm sorry to say, to be a card-carrying hippie. <laughs> um, but I want to talk a little bit more about the other insects that are available in our last 10 minutes. And, like, I know you've been experimenting. Sure. So you looked at worms, various different kinds of worms. And there are larvae that are very popular. Yeah, there are larvae, yeah. Yeah, kind of larval stages mm-hmm. of, of beetles. Um, yeah, there. I mean, to be completely honest, I think some of them taste uh, even better than the crickets do. Crickets also had a, a pretty good taste initially, really mild taste. So that was one of the right. reasons for going with them, in addition to, to the farming of them already being in place. But some of these wax worms um, have, have a really high fat content, um, high in omega-3s, and it's it's really, they're really good. Some of them taste pretty similar to bacon. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Which, I don't know. It, yeah, I, I, I'm serious. Yeah, they... But they're not smoked. Them, we, they just have a that? naturally smoky flavor? They're yeah, like, just, the, just the fattiness of them. Uh-huh. Just taste, it's kind of like a mix between a, a nut and almost like a, a bacon-y flavor. See, I love those are two things I love more than anything: nuts and bacon. I love those two things. Yeah, everything is improved well, with nuts and bacon. You, the problem you is, definitely I have to come to our kitchen. Uh, yeah, I do. Except that you're going to have to like hide it in a, you know, like yeah. hide it in a doggy treat <laughs> for me. I mean, I'd rather eat a dog well, biscuit okay. than a than a than a you know larva. I have to be honest. Isn't that with funny? You. Yeah, I've eaten yeah, a dog I, biscuit. I think it'll, it'll it'll have to be a generational <laughs> thing. You know, I think the. The younger generations are just going to be exposed to it early on, and then have less of an avert, cultural aversion yeah. to it. And it'll, you know, down the road and in the decades to come, it'll be a lot more common and just be so much easier. You won't have to think about things like, "Well, will people be weirded out by this or not?" Like, right. 
like I mean, we have to think about on a daily basis when we're trying new products. Well, that's why I love the idea that you figured out how to dry the crickets and mill them into a flour so that you did take away the ick factor, uh, which is not so easy to do when you try to sell a whole, you know, like a chocolate covered ant or, uh, you know, a worm that's been, you know, fried with chilies and garlic or whatever. I mean, you're still, you still have the ick factor. Whereas in your case, it's like you have the nutritional bang for your buck. But you have no ick factor, and I'm just wondering if, in your experiments, other some of these other more gushy products, um, like the, I think it was the, the uh, waxworm you were saying, um, you know, could be turned into something that did not look like a waxworm, and yet still gave you that you know delicious bacony nutty experience. You, you know, even even with all the efforts that we did, there's uh, in creating the flower, there's still you know aversion to it and. So we, we, we definitely, when we started, we thought we were probably five to ten years too early for the product. But mm-hmm. as I said earlier, it was about spreading the idea. And so we've just paid no attention to that, <laughs> to people that uh, that have a problem with it psychologically. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been focusing on the, the people that that uh, were excited about it. So I think we'll probably come out with the next product probably just before people are ready for it. So if it's whole insects, you know, we'll... We'll do it before people are ready, and then we'll find the people that are, that are excited about it and, and ready to kind of pioneer the industry with us. Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly the people who tune into Heritage Radio Network are your audience, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my engineer Jack is ready to chow down on some cricket bars right this minute. And I think All he right. would even be willing to venture into the waxworm situation. Um, which I have to admit, being a somewhat squeamish eater myself, I, I would have a harder time with. But as I said, if you were able to like turn that into a waxworm puree and you know put it into an amuse bouche, <laughs> you know, sure. I'd probably sure. love it. You know what I mean? It's just like as long as it doesn't look the way it looks, I can get over the psychological hump of eating an insect as long as it doesn't look like an insect, I think. And as long as I don't have to crunch any chitin, because that does kind of gross me out. I'm sorry. The chitin thing. My sure. ex-husband no, wrote a very famous book about roaches uh, called The Roaches Have No King. And um, he talks a lot about chitin and telomere and stuff like that. And it's just like, whoa, too much. Um, but I that, that that made me think of something else that I wanted to ask you. And now I... I've, I've sort of lost my thread, um, but uh, I had a bunch of other questions for you. So we've talked about what's next, but we didn't really talk about what what turned you on to the insect thing. Okay, you were looking at water, you were looking at how much water we use for agriculture, but um, wasn't there a particular catalyst for you? There was a Belgian guy who gave a TED Talk about eating insects? There was, yeah. He's, he's a Dutch professor oh, Dutch, who sorry. did a, a TED Talk, and I, I just... Uh, on my way to work as a, a water resource specialist, I listened to podcasts and TED Talks, and I just mm-hmm. listened to his one day, and um, it just kind of put the idea in my head, and then that's that's when I just started researching it as much as possible. So I would go and, and spend two hours in the library before work just researching as much as I could, and I found you know, every article I could just said, this is a no-brainer you know, yeah. from these scientific, you know, academic articles, but... There was just this conclusion at the end of each one of these throughout the decade saying, but people aren't ready for it, but our culture won't accept it, but, yeah. and that was, that was, that was pretty inspiring. That was like a, a challenge and, you know, you can't, you can't say that unless you actually know. And so we said, well, let's, let's see if people are ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's only one way to find out. You can't just say they aren't. You got to give them, yeah. give them a, give them a choice, give them a chance here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, one thing that when I was doing my research, I came across a reference. Um, to an 1885 manifesto by someone named Vincent Holt. I'm sure you've read this. Yes. And, oh, yes. Um, and he and he's talking about the food problems of his day, which obviously a lot of food scarcity uh, at the end of the of the 19th century and the Industrial Revolution, sort of getting off, uh, you know, to a, a banging start with like two cents a day wage. And he says, and here's a quote which just made me laugh my head off: "What a pleasant change from the laborer's unvarying meal of bread, lard, and bacon." Bacon or bread and lard without bacon. What would be a good uh, change from that would be a dish of fried cockchafers or grasshoppers. And then the, the piece goes on to say, but he was innocent of the nuances of food marketing because among the sample menus he supplied were offerings like boiled neck of mutton with wireworm sauce and moths on toast. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Moths on toast. Wire we, that one has on. not come across our experimental days in our kitchen, I have to admit. <laughs> but it's only a matter <laughs> of time, Pat, right? So are you ever going to go into bugging, into, into growing your own bugs? I mean, it seems to me that that's a pretty low-cost uh, agricultural pursuit, given that the tiny farms uh, will give you a, a, startup, uh, a startup set for practically nothing. How come you yeah, haven't started absolutely. up? You know, I wanted to start there. I, 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 my background is in agriculture, and uh, I wanted to start there, but it just didn't make sense until there was a, a consumer demand for it. And so, I see. Uh, all, what we're doing is is trying to create the consumer demand that will create that pull through, pull through demand for the agricultural industry. And so, right. that's where the majority of our focus is 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 the acceptability of the products and kind of the cultural biases or, or making creating the culturally acceptable product for your everyday consumer. And so that's that's a full time effort to be honest. Sure. We're <laughs> more than a full time effort and and raising them seems like a, a completely separate product. That being said, we are in full support of the industry continuing to evolve and in drive innovation in the industry of, of growing them. And so we're, we're happy to support efforts. Um, cool. You know, if people, people regularly contact us and we're, we're more than willing to, to work with anyone or, or give them advice. And we're in the process of setting up some sort of grant-based program to help drive that. But uh, as far yeah. as our, our personal energy is concerned, it's, it's limited. <laughs> we, yeah. we have to choose where we aim our poison, so to speak. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to leave you analogy. with this. I'm going to leave you with this thought, which is what you really need to do is, and I read that Jose Andres, uh, you know, the fabulous chef in Washington, has several insect-based dishes on his menu, and I think that because chefs are truly the drivers of change in our food business uh, across the board, it is always the chef who is the bellwether of change and um, innovation and new trends. And what we need to do is introduce you to a bunch of very cool chefs and make them as interested in what you're doing as I am and as anybody else is who sees uh, the end of water and agriculture as we know it coming sooner rather than later. So tell in closing, tell our people where they can find out more about Chapel and where can they buy uh, your cricket bars? Yeah, just uh, they can head to our website. It's pretty easy, uh, c 
C-H-A-P-U-L.com. That's our name, chapool.com. Mm-hmm. And we have a little store locator. Uh, scroll down about halfway cool. through the main page. It says buy locally. Throw in your zip code, and you can find uh, an area near you. And if there isn't one, um, let us know, and, and we'll reach out to somebody or, or reach out to them and, and tell them you want some cricket bars on your local shelves. Absolutely. I think it's wise. I think we all need to start adapting to this. And it sounds like the Chapul Cricket Bar is the best way to get used to eating our, um, you know, uh, chitinous friends. So, um, Pat, thank you so, so much for joining me today. And I hope you'll stay in touch with me because I would love to follow up and have other discussions with you about um, different ideas in agriculture. I'm sure you have a lot more ideas besides just eating insects and um, and and more ideas about water and what we're going to be doing about water in the coming decades. So um, please yeah. stay. Let's stay friends forever. And um Again, people, check out the website, chapul.com, and order your cricket bars today. Thanks a lot, Pat. We'll see you soon. Sounds and good. Thank you so much, my, Thank you to my sponsor and to my engineer. We'll see you next week. Tom Philpott is joining me again to talk more about the state of agriculture as we know it. So long. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.